What's up? <laughs> now just recording a podcast. What's oh, up with cool. you? Oh, not too much. You know what, though? What? You need a counselor. Thanks. So do you. <laughs> I do need a counselor. You're right. Welcome to another episode of You Need a Counselor. This is a podcast where we talk about all of the reasons why we need a counselor and all of the reasons why you need a counselor. And last week we talked about all of the reasons why your kid needs a counselor. And it's our belief that everybody in this world needs a counselor, that there isn't a single person who does not need a counselor. I'm Julie Johnson. I am the president and founder of Heart and Solutions. We're a strength-based counseling agency here in Iowa. We do in-office mental health care services, and we also do in-home behavioral health care services. And right now we are offering telehealth as well. So you can do your counseling on the computer, or you can do it like me and put your headphones on and do it while you're on the treadmill in the morning, straight on the phone. So welcome to our podcast. I'm Krista. I am the vice president at Heart and Solutions. I'm in charge of the behavioral health program that Julie was talking about. So we work with children ages 4 to 18 in their home or over telehealth on different behavioral skills to help improve those behaviors in children. And this is You Need a Counselor. Uh, The mission of our podcast is that we are designed for people curious about counseling, but who have barriers keeping them from experiencing the benefits of counseling. Our mission is to share stories about counseling, good, bad, indifferent, and spread the message that everyone can benefit from mental health and behavioral health counseling services. We post on Sunday nights at five o'clock, so make sure you put us into your weekly routine. Make sure that you save up your laundry and fold that laundry while you listen to us every week. We're going to keep you company while you do that, and every Sunday night. Also, that'll give you some Monday morning motivation to call a counselor, get scheduled for an appointment, or if you do have a counselor and you maybe like haven't seen them in a while, um, to go ahead and give them a call this week as well and get scheduled for your appointment. We want to talk to you today about like how do you even get a counselor? Even if you want a counselor and you know that you need a counselor and you know that what do you need do? a counselor, yeah, like what? Okay. What's next? I know I need a counselor. So, like you've been telling <laughs> us for six episodes that I need a counselor. I get now it what? now. Yeah. Like, okay. So what? <laughs> uh, so if you are in that situation, then awesome for you because the first step is figuring out: Do you need a counselor? And our opinion is that the answer is yes. <laughs> you do need a counselor. So if you are at that point where you've been listening and you kind of think, okay, like I could, I could maybe benefit from having a counselor. That sounds like an okay thing to do. Then that's great. This episode is for you. So some of the first steps to even getting to that point, if you're new and this is the first episode, go back and listen to the hundred reasons why you need a counselor podcast episode and go ahead and listen to the hundred reasons why your kid needs a counselor. Because I don't know about you, Chris, but like, we scored those on, I scored it on my daughter and Krista scored it on her brother, but like a lot of those applied to me also. (laughs) (laughs) Like go ahead and listen to that or, you know, think about it for your kids or the kids in your life. And those are hopefully really helpful resources for you guys to be able to get to that point of like, okay, yeah. Yeah, I do need a counselor. That might be beneficial in my life. Another way to think about it is If you could picture your ideal dream life, like time was not a factor, money was not a factor, geography was not a factor, COVID was not a factor, like nothing, nothing mattered, everything was taken care of, 
what would your ideal life look like? And so you could say, like, what would my day look like? Like, what time would I wake up in the morning? What time would I go to sleep at night? What would what would be the first thing I would do? What would I eat for breakfast? So if you kind of go through your ideal day, you can kind of see where, like, okay, yeah, there are some things that are, I'm doing in my life that, like, if I could have any kind of life, like, I'd probably still eat the same breakfast that I eat now because it's, like, really fast and it's like pretty healthy and so it works that works for me right so I'd still eat that same thing but there might be other things throughout my day that I might say like hmm if I had my wish maybe I wouldn't do some of those things right or maybe these things would be different like I would live in a different house okay so we can kind of look at like what would be different in our lives because the fact is that we have control over a lot of those things so there are a lot of things that maybe we don't give ourselves permission to even think that we have control over but we do have control over it so we just need somebody to kind of support us and give us permission to like think about those changes and dream about those things so Thinking about what would be different in your life is really, really helpful. Even if it's something that seems impossible, like, okay, I would want to be like a pilot instead. Okay, like that's a big deal. <laughs> that would be a huge change. Career change. Yeah, that would be huge. And that would be really, really different. But the fact is that if I believe that and that, that would make me happy and that would make me fulfilled, then why not? And why not start seeing a counselor so that I can weekly work towards that goal and make that into reality. That's one technique that's helpful. We call that the miracle question in counseling where we say, okay, if I had a magic wand and I could make this problem better, or if I had a magic wand and I could change your life altogether, what would you want me to change it to? That's a really great step to starting out the process of like, do I need a counselor or not? Yeah, you do. <laughs> so then the next step, once you get to that point, you're like, okay, I need a counselor. What do I do now? The next thing you really want to do is go get your insurance card. Find out what kind of health insurance you have. Find out what your mental health coverage is because you don't want to go to a counselor and not have an understanding of what kind of coverage you have for mental health care. The way to do that is go to your purse or go to the drawer where you keep all your insurance information. I keep mine in my purse. I have my insurance card in my purse and I have my daughters in there also, right? So go to, if you're scheduling an appointment for your kids, if you listen to a hundred reasons why your kid needs a counselor and you were like, oh yeah, that's my kid. My kid needs a counselor, right? Like go to where you keep their uh, insurance card, and then there's a phone number on the back of that card. Give them a call. Uh, they're going to ask you for your full name, your date of birth. They're going to ask you for the numbers on that card. And then just say, hey, I'm thinking about seeing a mental health counselor. What is my insurance coverage? What are you guys going to pay for? What are you not going to pay for? Do I have a certain number of sessions that I can do in a year? Do I have a certain amount that I'm going to have to pay no matter what, right? What is my copay? Um, so I've had different insurance plans over the course of my life, and I've had like $25 copay. I've had $40 copay. So it really depends on what coverage you have. Find that out because you want to make an informed decision about going to see a counselor. The other nice thing is that with certain insurance coverages, they might say like, you won't have to pay anything. Awesome. That's great to know. So give them a call. Find that out before you call into the counselor. Also, the next thing you're going to want to do 
is you can ask for that insurance company, you can give them your zip code and they can tell you different counselors in your location. So you can kind of kill two birds with one stone in that situation. They will tell you the different agencies or providers in your area that accept your insurance. Yeah, just find that stuff out. It's really important. The other thing to find out about too is like other types of coverage that you might qualify for. So insurance isn't the only way to cover mental health care. There's also employment plans, EAPs at certain jobs. They might have some benefits for you. So talking to your HR department where you work, you might be able to find out if they will cover a certain amount of sessions for different things. If you are coming to counseling because you've been the victim of a crime, in the state of Iowa, there's something called the Crime Victims Compensation Fund. And if you have been the victim of a crime and you have filed a police report, then they will cover up to, I think it's up to $5,000 for you to, and they will not only cover any deductibles, co-pays, co-insurance that you might have to pay for that service, but they will also compensate you for time that you might have to miss in order to go to your counseling sessions. And they will also reimburse you for gas and travel to get to those counseling sessions. So that is a really great resource. You can just Google that crime victims compensation fund. You just give them a call and they will walk you through the process of that. Also, if you have been the victim of a crime and your child was a witness to that crime. Um, so sometimes we see this in domestic violence situations where children were home when domestic violence happened and the police came to the home. Um, if your child has witnessed or experienced a crime and been impacted by that and need some supportive counseling to process through that, then they are eligible for up to $1,000 as well, even if they were not the actual victim of that crime. So really just important things to know, insurance is not the only way to pay for counseling. Um, most counseling places also will accept private pay as well if they do not accept your insurance type. Another place that you can go to look for a counselor, so counselors tend to be like not in the main areas of the town. Like, you know, I usually know where the pharmacy is. Like I know where Target is always, no matter what city I'm in, um, because it's so visible. But if I go to a new city, like who are the counselors here? I don't know. I don't know where their little side corner office is off the back road. Psychology Today is also a really great national resource. So um, if no matter what zip code you're in, you can type in your zip code. And you can also sort that search by your insurance type. So I've got Blue Cross, so I would put in my zip code and I would search for Blue Cross covered. And it's going to give me a photo and a bio of all of the counselors that are in in the certain mileage range that I've set of me that I can call or email as well. It's not a sponsored video by Psychology Today, but hey, Psychology Today. Sponsor us. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely Psychology Today is a really, really great resource for how do I even find a counselor to call. So now you found a counselor that you want to call. So your next steps would be obviously to call them. So before you make your call, make sure like Julie said, you have your insurance card out and ready. You have your social security number or your social security card if you don't have that memorized in your calendar. Make sure that's ready too because they're going to obviously want to skip 
schedule a session with you on the phone. Also while you're on the phone, so then make sure you go through all of that information, all of your personal, they'll ask your like address, birthday, phone number, all that basic contact info, social security number, your insurance info. If you do have a preference on your counselor, so gender or like type of thing they work with that you want to work on during counseling or whatever it is, make sure you let them that know what that as well when you call. And then obviously you will schedule your first appointment from there. So do make sure you have your calendar out and ready so you guys can get that scheduled. And then your first appointment that you go to when you see a therapist is your assessment. Um, so Julie's going to talk a little bit about what to expect in an assessment, especially Julie is a therapist. So she does assessments as well. So she can give us some background info that not all clients would normally have of what goes on and then assessment and what is asked. One other surprising thing that they might ask you on the phone is like if you call in and you are trying to get your child schedule, they're going to ask for the full name, date and birth and address of the person who holds that insurance and is the primary of that insurance. So if that's your kid's mom or if that's your kid's dad, they're going to want to know that stuff and they're going to want to know their address, like their mailing address. So having a lot of that stuff in place beforehand is going to just save you a lot of time. And to be honest, a lot of annoyance, like when you call in and then they ask you that, you're like, oh, now I have to go gather all this stuff, you know, or whatever, make sure that it's right. And so that is one tip is just try to get that stuff beforehand because they will probably ask for that if your child is under that person's insurance. Yeah, so the first appointment with your counselor is an assessment. Oh my gosh, you guys, that can be so awkward. I just want to I just want to let you know like your assessment insurance companies require that you have a diagnostic assessment, okay? And they require that that be the first session. And it makes sense in a lot of ways because that's where we find out, okay, what are the goals that we want to work on? What is the purpose of you coming in? What are the things that you want to have different? What are the things that you want to improve in your life? So, or what are you experiencing right now that you would like to not experience? Um, so the assessment is for setting goals, getting a sense of what you're experiencing and what you would like to experience. But they also, the insurance companies want to have social histories as well. And social histories include things like, how did you get along with your family of origin? And how did your parents parent you? And if you're going in there because you lost your job and you're, you're stressed out because you lost your job and then they start asking you about like, your parents' mental health diagnoses and you know, like how did they do discipline when you were a kid? You're gonna be like, why are you so nosy? Um, <laughs> that doesn't have and, to do with anything. Yeah, like it, you're going to go in and be like, why are you asking me this? So it has literally nothing to do with why I called. And I totally get that because you're right. It doesn't. But these are really important questions that we have to ask in the beginning. Um, your insurance company wants to know. And also it is really helpful for us to know these things about you. So they're going to ask you probably questions about like your medical history, you know, like major surgeries you've had and medications you've been on and other times that you have been to other counselors or times that you might have like had to go to the hospital, things like that. So that can feel really personal. They're going to ask you about different traumas that you might have experienced. They're going to ask you about self-harm ideation or about suicidal ideation or homicidal ideation. And they're going to ask you about drug and alcohol use, okay? 
And I'm telling you guys all of this, not to scare you away from going to a counselor. That is definitely the opposite of what I want to happen with this. But I also don't want you to go there and then be like, this person is a weirdo. Like, why are they asking me all this? Like, so yeah, like they have no tact. They just like don't <laughs> even try to get to know me. They just like start asking me all these super personal questions. Like, if that's your experience, like, you're right. That's exactly what happens. But my hope is that you'll have heard this episode. You'll go into there knowing that this is what happens. Um, and that, you know, please don't try to judge the counselor on that. That is an insurance requirement. <laughs> Hopefully they're going to ask you also questions about, you know, like what symptoms you might be having or what's been going on in your life that's made you decide to come in and, and set some goals with you, those goals really should be collaborative, right? So if you come in because you've lost your job and you're having financial stress, you want to have your goals reflect those reasons that you came in. So if you come in for that and then they start talking about like, oh, it would be great to like improve your social skills so you have more friends. And you're like, Really? That's not why I'm here. <laughs> so we, we really want to make sure that, you know, for the, by the end of that assessment or the next appointment, that you know what your goals are. It is your right to know what your goals are and to be part of that goal setting process. If you hear the goal that your counselor says and you're like, mm, that's not that's not what I want, or that's not what I came in for. It's fine to say that. It's your right to say that. You are part of that process. This is not like when you go to the doctor, you know, they say, okay, well, this is what you have, like you have strep throat, you know, and our goal or treatment goal is like, we're going to give you this medicine and then you're not going to have strep throat anymore. That's medical model and counseling really isn't that way. You get to set the goals that you want to have happen. So that's the assessment. The next part is your weekly counseling session. So well, all I want to say about this is that if you go in there and you end up, like you leave the second session and you're like, all we did was talk about the weather <laughs> or all I did was tell them about my fishing trip to Minnesota, right? Like, don't, please don't be discouraged by that. It's tempting to be discouraged by that or to like leave your, your second or even your third or fourth session and be like, we just talked about the book I'm reading. Like we didn't do anything. And the thing that I came in for is not better. It is preferable. It is okay. And it is preferable to go slowly in getting to know your counselor, building rapport with your counselor. So rapport is a word that we use in counselor jargon to say like building a working relationship to have trust between you and the counselor so that, and have kind of a mutual understanding of what you guys are about and what you're doing and for your counselor to have an understanding of what your values are, what your goals are, just who you are as a person, how you like to communicate, if you like to use humor, if you don't. Those things are really, really important for your counselor to know. And so if your counselor is spending two or three or four or even more sessions just getting to know you and who you are as a person, you're making a lot of small talk, that is totally fine. If you are comfortable with that, and sometimes what people say, you know, they say, well, I went to a counselor and it just seemed too fast. Like they just started talking about this trauma that happened in my past. And I was like, I don't even know you guy. Like, who are you? 
And that's an indication that things are going too fast. And the antidote for that, you set the pace. And so your counselor is not going to be upset if like you don't just start talking to them about your deepest, darkest fears the second session. Nobody expects you to do that. And if you do that just because you think that your counselor wants you to do it, then you're not going to get the best outcomes of what you want. And it's not going to be as comfortable or productive for you as it could be. Just know that it's going to be kind of slower at first and that's okay. Like you wouldn't, if you go on a first date with somebody, let's say the first date is the assessment. Well, if you go on a first date and it's like the assessment, you don't. <laughs> don't go on a second date. <laughs> Asking your social history. Yeah. <laughs> but if you go on a date with somebody and you guys talk about the weather and you talk about movies you like or that you saw and you talk about concerts you've been to, that's totally appropriate. Nobody hopefully is expecting that you go on a second date and you start talking about like, oh, when we move in together or when we... <laughs> have kids or you know like that would scare you away yes and the same is true with building a relate because you're building a relationship and that takes time and just like that you're building a relationship with your counselor very different kind of relationship but you are building a relationship with your counselor that takes time your counselor is not expecting you to dive right into talking about things that you might not be comfortable talking about And then setting long-term and short-term goals are really important. Uh, We talked about that a little bit, but also just talking to your counselor about how you'll know that those goals are met because you want to know that you're making progress towards those goals and you want to know that once you do reach those goals that you'll know it and that you can start working on new goals that are going to improve your life or, or increase the things that you want even more. So setting those short-term and long-term goals and just reviewing those consistently in counseling are going to be really, really helpful. So next, we're going to talk about things to look for in a counselor and things to ask your counselor once you're there. So you have your appointment set. You show up for your first session, your assessment. Obviously, most important thing is, is your therapist there? Are they on time for your appointment? Do they no-show your session? Obviously, you might want to start looking for a different counselor if that were to happen. That should not happen. Along with that, what is the cancellation policy? How much notice do you have to give them if you need to cancel or reschedule a session? How early are you expected to be there before a session? So make sure you know all of that first arrive as well. Um, Another thing to look for that you'll notice when you first walk into an office is how was the sound there? Can you hear what's happening in other people's sessions? Is there any confidentiality at all? Do they have sound machines? So in our Heart and Solutions offices, we have little white noise sound machines that are around each door that you'll notice when you come in that sound like a humming noise. So you can't can't hear what's going on in the other sessions. Do they have something like that or is it completely open and you're able to hear what's going on in other sessions? Because that then means obviously people will be able to hear what's going on in your session as well. So look for little things like that when you do enter an office to see that they have those things in place. These ones are definitely based on personal experience for me. So I've seen a lot of counselors and I've had a couple times actually when I was looking for a counselor and I found the counselor that I'm, I'm working with now. I called from psychology today. I called like probably 10 counselors and I scheduled with like, some of them didn't even get back to me from psychology today. I was like, whatever. <laughs> uh, and then I scheduled with like five of them, not on the same day. Please don't schedule back to back. Don't schedule assessments with different counselors on different days. Definitely, like, should you try out 
different counselors when you're looking for a new counselor like should you kind of try out different ones and reach out to different ones yes please don't do it on the same day if you do it on the same day your insurance is likely to say that they will not pay for two therapy appointments on the same day so what would then happen is that the second ins- the second therapist to bill that session, um, the insurance company will deny that claim, and then that counselor is going to bill it to you, and you're going to have to pay for that session. So please don't do that. Give yourself some time, too, to process. Between them. <laughs> you don't want to do another assessment back-to-back. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No. Nobody <laughs> wants to go through that. <laughs> That would be, that's just a lot, right? At one time. Yeah. So that's space them out a little bit. Um, but definitely we encourage like try, talking to different ones and kind of seeing who you want to be working with, but please don't do it on the same day. And yeah, are they on time is such an important one. So one of the counselors that I scheduled with at that time, so I got there and it was like a house. It was, it, it was her office, but it was in a house. And so I pulled up and it was like a screen door and like a door like a house and so I knocked on the door and rang the doorbell nobody answered and so I went back to my car and I called and nobody answered and then I texted and then she texted me back and said oh my gosh I'm so sorry something came up with my daughter I'll be there in like 10 minutes Uh -uh. (laughs) I will not be here (laughs) no thank you (laughs) so uh Yeah, that's super important. I need to be able to have somebody who is consistent um, and who is going to be on time. Now, do emergencies happen sometimes? Yes. There are times where your counselor is going to be like, I am so sorry. I have a flat tire and I'm calling you from my car because, you know, AAA is on their way to come get me. Or I am so sorry, like my kids are throwing up. I don't know. Whatever it is. Okay. Like there are things like that that are going to come up, but your counselor really should give you advance notice unless it is an emergency. And so with that counselor, I did give her a second chance and I was like, okay, maybe this is like her one and it just happens to be on the day of my assessment, right? So I gave her a second chance. We did reschedule, showed up. She was not there on the second one. Oh my gosh. And as I was texting her, she pulled in next to me and went in there. Okay, but like, no, <laughs> your counselor should be, you should not like see the inside the of office. your counselor's car and like see all their empty Starbucks cups or whatever <laughs> on the floor. Like that should not happen. When you get there, they should be in, they might be finishing up with another client or something, but like they should be in there ready to see you. Okay. So after that second time when, when she was late and she was probably like only two minutes late, but still like, I definitely value my time and I want somebody who values my time as well. So that was one time the sound machine situation. I went into one and it was a shared building. So there was an eye doctor and like a sunglasses place and there was a hair salon. Um, And so it was a shared office space, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And sometimes people prefer that because then you're walking in there and you can get like multiple things done while you're in there. That's fine. But her office was not a suite with its own waiting room. Her office was uh, one office and then the hall was kind of the waiting room. And I sat in the hall. I was probably like 10 minutes early and waited for my session time to start. And I could hear everything that was happening in the session in her office. So she was in there with a client finishing up and I could hear 
everything and there was no sound machine. And so not only are this person's clients hearing everything that I would be saying in there, but also like people just going in there to get their eyes checked or people going in there to get their hair done can now sit and hear everything that I am saying. Like, no. And so I brought it up to her and I said, I went in and I said, you know, Hey, just so you know, like I, I could hear everything um, in there. Like I could hear what they said. I could hear what you said. And she, and she said, well, if you don't talk very loudly, then they won't be able to hear you. Whisper in your session. <laughs> so I did not return to that one. There were also other issues with that one. Like she was not prepared for the assessment. Like she can't. She said her printer was broken, so she didn't have intake paperwork for me. So she never took my insurance information at all. She didn't even bill your insurance. Never billed me for it. Um, and she gave me a blank piece of paper on a clipboard, and she said, "Here, write your geographics on here." And I was like, "What? <laughs> Sorry, what?" And she said, "Write your geographics. Like, write your name, your address, your date of birth." <laughs> and I was like, "Are you trying my demographics? Do you mean, yeah, do you mean write my demographics?" And she said, "Yeah." And I said, "Okay." So I wrote exactly what she said to write. I wrote my name, my date of birth, and my address on this blank piece of paper. You guys, that is a red flag. That was red flags being thrown all over the place. Never build my insurance. Never took my insurance information. Sound machines are a big deal. Make sure if you can hear other people's sessions from the waiting room, that's a red flag because then we're not going to feel secure. Like I talked to my counselor about things that I don't want everybody in town to be hearing. I don't recommend that. If you, they don't have a sound machine, make sure you let them know and, and if they refuse to fix it, if they just say, we'll talk quieter, then no, that's a no. And the next thing to ask your counselor is what is their specialty? They should have their degree hung up on the wall. If they are a licensed mental health counselor, if they are a licensed independent social worker, if they are a temporary licensed mental health counselor, uh, or whatever it is that your state calls those various different kinds of licensure, they should have their license hanging up on the wall visible to you if they have a provisional license. So sometimes when I say like temporary license or provisional license, people think that it means like they're in trouble, like they're on probation. They're not. It just means that they have not completed their supervision yet to have a full independent license. So they might have graduated two or even three years ago or Sometimes, like in my case, it took me a long time because I was doing leadership things within a company, right? So it took me longer to get my full license. So it's not necessarily an indication that that person, you know, just graduated or something like that. But if they have a T in front of their name or if it says provisional or temporary, they should be letting you know that because they are, that means that they do have a supervisor who is fully licensed that is going to be consulting on their cases. So they should be letting you know if they are a temporarily licensed counselor or provisional counselor that, that that is the case and that their supervisor will be consulting with them and helping them with them. If you don't see their license on the wall, sometimes when people travel a lot for it, they actually keep like a keychain version of their license or they keep it in their bag or something like that. That's, that's totally acceptable and you can just ask them to show their license and their license number. The next thing 
to ask about is just what is their experience? What is their education? What is their history? You know, if you go in for a specific reason, don't feel shy about asking them, what's your experience with this diagnosis? What's your experience with this problem? It doesn't mean that you have to discount a counselor who doesn't have a lot of experience, but it it is your right to know that and make that most educated decision for yourself. So we have had situations where people have come in with very, very specific situations and we have let them know, hey, this provider doesn't have a lot of experience in that specific situation. And the person has often said, that's okay. As long as it's not a competency issue, as long as that counselor is competent to deal with that situation and to help you through and has education maybe on it, but maybe doesn't have a lot of experience with that firsthand, that's okay. You guys can walk through it together. As counselors, we are always learning from our clients. Um, So if your counselor says, hey, that's outside of my scope of competency, they may refer you out, right? They should refer you out in that situation. But if they do have a lot of experience, um, that topic, but maybe just not the specific situation you have, that's okay. But it is your right to know that and make that decision for yourself. Um, Another thing to ask your therapist is what are their session hours and their phone hours? So do they have flexible session time? Are they available on evenings or weekends? Are they only open nine to five when you're also potentially working? So it's just good to know, like, could you do an earlier session or an after work session if possible or after school session if it's for your child? Some therapists do do weekend sessions as well. Most don't, but it's good to ask to see if that is a potentially a possibility as well. And then phone hours. Do they have certain times where they're available to be called? Can you call them anytime from nine to five that they're open? Um, and they'll, they'll answer probably not because they will also be doing sessions, but just to know those policies beforehand. So when you do leave that assessment, you know when to schedule your next appointment for, and if you do have to call um, what their hours are that they'd be available by phone. And kind of along with that, just finding out what are their communication policies? Are you allowed to text about your appointments? Are you allowed to send them, you know, emails to their their email address about scheduling? Are you allowed to send emails with updates? Just what is their communication policy? Also, what is their social media policy? And what are the boundaries on hours that they might respond to a text message, for example? Also, make sure that they do talk about confidentiality with you and that they should go over some type of confidentiality agreement, consent packet, releases. Just make sure that you know that the information that you are sharing with them is confidential, that they are following HIPAA standards, and that if there is anyone you want information to specifically be shared with, that you do do releases to those people and that they're just like, oh yeah, we'll talk to whoever about that. Make sure that you actually sign a piece of paper okaying that that is okay. And on those papers, you can always mark like you're okay with them knowing you're in treatment, but not knowing specifics about that treatment as well. So make sure you do go through that with them. And then a consent to treatment, like Julie said at her, one of her therapists she went to, that was not even even done. So she did not even consent for them to bill her insurance or to treat her as a patient. So make sure that is filled out so that you are allowing the therapist to bill your insurance and that you are consenting to be treated there as a patient for their services. Any intake paperwork should always be done at your first assessment. And it's also okay to, like Chris, I was saying, to write in limitations on information that you want shared. Also, if there are any, like, custody issues of like who's allowed to pick up your kids or any restraining order type issues of like who's allowed to be around you or your kids. Make sure that you let the counselor know that as well so that they know that, you know, okay, grandma and grandpa are not allowed to pick up, right? Or they're not allowed to be here during session time or while we're here. So in the assessment, the other thing that did not happen in that one that I talked about is that really in order for your assessment to be 
accurate. Best practice is that that counselor should be taking notes of some kind while they are asking you social history questions and while they're asking you about symptoms and your experiences. So that doesn't mean that they have to be like writing down everything that you say. And they might be taking notes in the form of typing as you guys are talking or writing things down as you're talking on a notebook. Just know that if they are taking notes on the computer, that's not necessarily an indication that that's what they're going to do during your sessions because that would be awkward um, so they may be doing that you know for me I type on my laptop during the assessments but then during a session I wouldn't be doing that I might take paper notes or something you're giving them a lot of information in that assessment and so we want to make sure that your records are accurate and the most accurate way to make sure that that happens is to be taking notes as you're going because I don't know about you, but sometimes it's hard for me to remember what I had for breakfast. <laughs> um, so the idea of remembering somebody's entire social history later on when I'm writing notes, it's just not, that's not possible. So they should be taking some kind of notes. Don't get mad at your counselor if they are taking notes during the assessment. That doesn't mean that they're always going to be like, writing everything down while you're talking in your therapy. Um, also, ask questions about how often they're going to bill you. Like, are you supposed to bring your co-pays in every time? Are they going to send you a bill in the mail? Make sure that the address that they have is the correct address that you want that bill sent to. Um, so for me, for example, like I, if somebody says at intake, okay, what's your address? I'm going to give them my street address. But in terms of where do I want my bill sent for co-pays, I want that sent to my P.O. box, right? So you can make that distinction and just make sure that they know like where to send those bills. Because if you don't get those bills, you're going to then potentially have a buildup of bills that you have to end up paying later. And that's not fun. Also, just finding out what their methods of payment are. Like, can you just bring cash for your copay? Can you bring a credit card for your copay? Do you have to bring a check each time? Can you pay online? Things like that. Another question that I love, and people have asked me this as a counselor, is how do you believe that change happens? How do people change? And that'll tell you kind of a lot about that counselor's method and that counselor's theory. And there are all different theories in counseling that are research-based theories and evidence-based practices. A lot of times, counselors either fall into two categories. They either are very, very committed to one theory, and they utilize that theory a lot. So you might see people who specialize in EMDR or specialize in PCIT or other things that have a bunch of letters with them. But then a lot of providers also are very eclectic. And so they know what the different theories are and they utilize techniques and processes from all the different theories, just depending on what you're needing in that session. So asking them about what their theory is that they practice with and then asking them to explain that. So if they say, I do CBT and you say, what is that? It's okay to ask them that and they can walk you through what that actually means for you. So then the next thing is ask them about diagnosis. How do they do their diagnoses? What are their thoughts on diagnoses? And also it's your right to ask them later on, what did you diagnose me with? A lot of times, I see this all the time where clients will go to counselors for years and have no idea what that counselor yeah. diagnosed them with. And they're like, taking medication for it and all of this. And they're like, I don't know what my diagnosis is. You know, I think it might be this. So don't be afraid to ask your counselor. It doesn't have to be in the first session, but you know, as you go along, 
find out what your diagnosis is because you want to make sure that you, one, like you should be part of that diagnostic process. Diagnoses are nothing more than a grouping of symptoms. And if you have all of those symptoms, then you qualify for that diagnosis. And if you don't have all of those symptoms, then you don't qualify for that diagnosis. And so you are the expert on what symptoms you are experiencing. So you should be part of that diagnosis and you should know what that diagnosis is, and also your counselor should be able to step you exactly through why they gave you that diagnosis. They should be able to walk through all of the symptoms and say, yep, you told me that you were having trouble sleeping. You told me that your appetite had increased. You told me this and that, right? So it should be very specific to you. Tell them about your medications. So bringing a list of medications that you take or that your child takes is going to be really helpful in that first appointment because they are likely to ask you about all of your medications, including medications that you take for mental health purposes, but also like pain medications you might take or just medications you may take for blood pressure, stuff like that. So bringing a list of that, the name of the medicine and the amount that you take and how often you take it. Those are going to be really important too. And then also make sure that you tell them what you've liked about previous counselors. So if you've had other therapists in the past, what you did or didn't like that they did and make sure to give examples. And then with this new therapist, if you like something that they did or didn't do during the session, make sure to tell them that as well, because otherwise they don't know and could continue to do it. Or if they think they, you didn't like it, but you actually did like something that they did. It's important to let them know that as well. So they can continue to do that. Yeah. So your counselor is, is going to be experienced with, interpreting some body language, but body language means totally different things for different people. And so we're still human. And so we can misread body language. For example, my thinking face sometimes looks a lot like my annoyed face. Um, and I know a lot of people like that, where you'll be like, oh, did I say something wrong? And they're like, no, I'm just thinking. Yeah. <laughs> or I'm just listening, even. <laughs> that sometimes happens. So making sure that you're telling them is just so, so important. The next thing we wanted to talk about is reasons not to get mad at your counselor. So these are things that like, sometimes people are like really annoyed about their counselor or feel like their counselor has like slighted them in some way or treated them badly. This is just a list that we kind of came up with of things that your counselor might do that might annoy you or frustrate you, but that your counselor has to do in order to stay legal, in order to stay ethical, in order to keep their license in good standing, your counselor has to do these things and has to say no to a lot of things that they probably wish they could say yes to, but they just can't. If we don't understand what these things are, then like that, sometimes they can be really hurtful if we think that our counselor is just doing it because they don't like us. So gifts, don't be offended if you're counselor will not take a gift from you if you buy them something and bring it and they can't take it just don't buy them stuff they won't be able to take it along with that as well therapists or counselors cannot buy things from you so if you're selling things for school like girl scout cookies or boy scouts always sell popcorn we do really want to buy that stuff unfortunately we're not able to so don't be offended if you bring your school fundraiser or your i know some schools like magazines or things like that and we're not able to buy them from you we do want to so don't bring the cookies and show them to us and then we have to be all sad and say you have to take them back home <laughs> because we do really want to. We can't add you on social media either. So I, we do 
unfortunately have a lot of clients who try to add us on Facebook. So if you do try and add your therapist or counselor on Facebook or Instagram or anything like that, and they ignore your requests or leave it sitting in there, it is because they cannot add you on social media. So don't add them. They can't come to your house for dinner. They can't go out to eat with you, go to your kid's graduation or course concerts or anything like that, or hang out with you outside of session at all, unfortunately. So they have to just, just set session time is when you can see your counselor. So may not immediately respond to phone calls or text messages. So again, with that phone policy, making sure you know when they are available to call or text, when you would be getting a call or text back if you do call or text them. If you call them at midnight, they may not answer. <laughs> you may wait, have not get a response until 9 a.m. when they're back at the office. Don't expect an immediate response if you do try or call to call or text if it's outside of business hours. And even if it is in business hours, sometimes we are in session as well. So we're not always available to answer those. Another thing is that sometimes counselors get court ordered. So we, this should be explained to you by your counselor in that first session in the confidentiality section where we say that we're not going to share this information with anybody. Um, there are some exceptions to that. And so one of them is that if we are court ordered by a judge to provide notes or to testify or to give information about whether or not you are in counseling, we need to follow that court order or we go to jail. So if we get court ordered for something, now a court order is different from a subpoena. You could be subpoenaed to give records of a client to uh, the court, and you can fight that subpoena. So we get subpoenas sometimes, and we go, nope, this is not in the best interest of our client. And so then we have our attorney file a motion to try to squash that subpoena, explaining that it would not be in your best interest to send that information. However, uh, once we file the motion to squash that subpoena, a judge may still say, too bad, it's a court order. I am ordering you to send that information or you will go to jail. In which case, please don't be mad at your counselor, but your counselor has to send that information. Heart and Solutions, we've been, we're coming up on our six-year anniversary and we've never had a court order to have to send information. And we've fought several subpoenas. Judges are typically respectful of that confidentiality if it's not absolutely necessary, but there may be times when uh, it is absolutely necessary to send that information. The next one is writing letters. Okay, so... Every counselor and agency are maybe going to have different rules about writing letters on your behalf, but for a lot of agencies and for a lot of providers, because of ethical standards of our ethical codes, a lot of counselors are not going to be comfortable writing a letter for you for custody purposes. Now, there are a few exceptions to this. If somebody is appointed, for example, in your custody situation and they may be able to write a letter to that effect. They would have specialized training in custody issues. Also, if you seek out a counselor who has specialized training and is certified to do that, then they might be able to send a letter or be involved in that court case. If you go to a mental health counselor, though, likely they're not going to be able to write or make any recommendations for you about custody. So if you are trying to get a letter that says that the other parent is not a fit parent or something like that, that counselor, if they're being ethical, is not going to write a letter for you like that. Now, we can say things for you like who was bringing the children to counseling. We can say who was participating in the counseling and who wasn't. We can say specific things that the children have said in, in services. So if the child says that there's been abuse or something like that, we can say that because then we're just literally repeating 
what has happened around us. Or when it comes to giving our own opinion of, oh, these kids would be better off living here or they would be better off living here. It's not an ethical thing for us to do. So we would not be able to write you a letter like that at, at this agency. We would not do that. Um, and I think that's pretty typical uh, for ethics. The other thing we get asked a lot is for people to write letters to their apartment complex or to their landlord saying that they should be able to have a comfort animal or a therapy dog or a therapy cat in their apartment or that they shouldn't have to pay um, like pet fees or like pet deposit because their animal is a comfort animal. It's a big difference between a service animal and a comfort animal. And a therapy animal. Therapy animals have to be owned and operated is a weird way to say it. <laughs> that is what I <laughs> um, they're A certified therapy pet in conjunction with your therapist. So we actually have a therapy pet who is certified with one of our therapists here at Heart and Solution. And that is a therapy pet. That's not a pet that would like live with you at your house. That would be a comfort animal. Now, Krista and I love animals. Um, Krista yeah. loves dogs and I love cats, but we love animals. The furry, cute kind. Um, <laughs> yeah, just the furry ones. Yeah, the furry ones. Um, we love animals and like, do I personally believe that like my cats are a source of comfort to me and that my cats like bring me a lot of joy and that they help me when I'm feeling down and that they're comforting to pet. Like, absolutely. I believe that as a person, there's no arguing that in my mind. Like I believe that because that's what I experience in my day to day life is that, yeah, it's comforting to pet my cats and to have them at home with me. But in my role as a counselor, I cannot state because I don't know your animals. I don't know what impact your animals have on your diagnosis. I can say what you have told me, but that is not the same as me giving the opinion that your animal is a safe animal or that your animal should live with you in an apartment that doesn't allow animals. So we are able to write a letter to your landlord that says what your diagnosis is. So some apartment complexes, they'll say, okay, if you've got a diagnosis letter from a licensed mental health counselor or a licensed social worker that says that you have this diagnosis, then we'll waive that pet fee or we'll allow you to have a pet for that reason. So sometimes the diagnosis is enough and we're, we're always able to write you a letter that says your diagnosis, that says how long you've been in treatment, what your goals are, things like that. But we're not able to write a letter that says, I believe that Krissa should have a dog in her apartment. It's outside of our scope. So sometimes people get mad at counselors for that. And it's understandable because our pets are really, really important to us. Just know that that's not because they hate animals. It's not because they hate your animal. It's just because of our ethical bounds. We just we can't do it. Also, if you see your counselor in public, now they should go over this with you also in your informed consent in that first appointment, is what to do if you see your counselor out in public. And um, typically what people will say and what we say in our practice is that if I see you out at the grocery store or the gas station, I'm not going to say hi to you. I'm not going to acknowledge that I know you. I'm going to walk by and I'm not going to make eye contact and I'm just going to carry on with my day. The reason for that is not to be rude to you. The reason for that is to protect your privacy. So if you're out with your mother-in-law or you're out and shopping and, oh my gosh, here 
down one side of the aisle, here comes my teacher's kid, or my kid's teacher, or my teacher's kid, I guess. Uh, <laughs> coming down the other side of the aisle, oh, here comes my therapist. That's awkward sometimes. People don't always want to have to explain who that person is. And so what we do is we just assume that and we do not make first contact, right? So we're not going to come up to you and be like, oh, hey, it was so great to see you at your session last week. I'll see you at your session next week. Like, no, if you wave at us, we will wave at you. If you say hi to us, we will say hi to you, but we will strongly discourage any talk of, uh, oh yeah, remember what I was telling you about that dream the other day? Like, I had another one, isn't that weird? Like, we're not gonna talk to you about that in the freezer section. <laughs> um, so if you see your counselor out in public and they ignore you and they just totally snub you, like, please don't take that personally, just know that that is them trying to protect your confidentiality as best that they can. Next one is, we kind of talked about scope of competency before, but sometimes people will come in with certain presenting problems, and then as we as the counselors, we get to know that person, we realize there's some other stuff going on, and sometimes that other stuff is outside of the scope of what we are able to help you with. So it might be a situation where there are other people who are more qualified or have more education in that area or have more experience in that area, and we're just not qualified to do that. And in our ethical codes, we are not able to practice outside of our scope. This is really hard for counselors because we we enjoy working with a lot of our clients. We want to see you succeed. We want to help you. We're, we're helpers. But very often, we've built a really great professional relationship. We're making progress. We're enjoying seeing you succeed. But if we do run into a situation like that, we may have to refer you to somebody else. Other reasons that we might have to refer you to somebody else, if there is transference or counter-transference. So transference happens when you remind your counselor of somebody and or if your counselor projects certain feelings or thoughts or experiences onto you. So if you come in, if Krista is my client and I'm her counselor and she starts talking about something and I go, oh my gosh, this is just like my sister. My sister always says stuff like this. My sister's always going through stuff like this and it's her own fault, right? <laughs> now, I'm not consciously like, thinking those things about Krissa, I'm not thinking, oh, Krissa is so irresponsible. Oh, Krissa, right? I'm not thinking those negative things about my client. But if I am a self-aware provider, I'm going to see the differences there or the similarities there. And I'm going to see that maybe these certain conversations affect me a little bit differently than they might affect somebody else. Also, if I'm going through a similar situation. So say I'm getting a divorce or I'm separated from my partner and a client comes in and they came in because they had lost a job, but now things are stressful with their partner and they're starting to contemplate divorce. And I'm going through it as a person. I may refer that person out because the I don't want to transfer through transference my own personal stuff onto that person's situation. I want that situation to be helped by a provider who can be really objective and not have their own personal stuff come into the session. That's another reason why counter-transference is when the client is transferring onto the provider. So we've all heard of situations where like 
clients fall in love with doctors, right? Or what do they call that? Like Florence Nightingale syndrome, you fall in love with doctors, right? So there are those situations where people could have really strong feelings about their therapist. It doesn't always have to be romantic, but even like, oh, you remind me so much of my daughter or you remind me so much of my mom. I wish my mom was like you. Can you be my mom? Okay, if you're having thoughts like that about your your therapist, it's really, really important to say those things to them so that they can help you make a determination if they are the right provider for you. If, if they refer you out, it really stinks. Like you've spent this time forming this relationship with this counselor. They get you, they know you know, kind of what you're going through and you've explained a lot of stuff to them and you've experienced a lot of stuff while talking to them. It is the reality of counseling. It is something that does happen and it does have a good reason for it. It just, that doesn't make it any less hard. Okay. So next we have reason to stop seeing your counselor and get anyone. So those are reasons that you shouldn't be mad at your counselor. Those are out of their control. Those are things they can't do. But here's our things that they shouldn't do. So if they are doing these things, it would be a good idea to look for a new counselor. Um, and start finding another one. So if they no show you or are consistently canceled or consistently late for all of your appointment, definitely find a new counselor at that point. If they expect you to be on time, you should expect them to be on time as well. If they're making inappropriate or suggestive comments to you in session or outside of session, or if they try and engage in a relationship with you outside of session, like Julie was kind of talking about, not only would could, could the client potentially do that to their therapist, but you, then could they, the therapist could do it to you as well. So um, if you just feel uncomfortable, if they're saying inappropriate things that just make you feel uncomfortable, or they try and engage in a um, personal relationship outside of session time and definitely try and find a new counselor and stop seeing that counselor at that point. So if your counselor ever invites you over for Thanksgiving dinner, don't go. Get a new counselor. <laughs> don't go. Get a new counselor. So other things are if they talk about themselves and their own problems during your session, like that is your time to talk about you and to focus on you. You spend the rest of your week taking care of other people and doing things for other people and thinking about other people's needs and thinking about things you need to do for work and things you have to do for your, your home and your family and your relationships. That hour is your time. So if your therapist is stealing your time by talking about their own problems, or if you start talking about your child and then they're like, oh my gosh, my kid is the same way. She does whatever. I don't care. Like, why, why are you telling me that? Okay. And the thing is, like, we we do get into that professional relationship with our counselor. And so, like, yeah, it might be pretty interesting to hear about, like, oh, really? Like, you're, that's interesting. I want to know about your vacation and stuff like that. Okay. But that is a boundary issue. If your counselor starts talking about their own problems in a way that is not helpful to you, it is well within your right and highly encouraged that you bring that up to them. And if they do not accept that feedback and uh, like, like Dr. Craig Springer was saying, right, it's hard for counselors to hear feedback like that, but it's important. And so the way that he does that is he takes that as a learning opportunity for him to do a better job. Um, that's the way that all counselors should take that. So uh, it doesn't mean you have to automatically stop seeing them, but it is fair to bring that up. And then if they do not acknowledge your concern, um, then that would be the time to look for another counselor. Now, don't stop counseling altogether. <laughs> this is what happens sometimes. People will, something like that will happen and people will just stop counseling altogether. Like, oh, I tried it. I don't like it. I don't like that person. Keep trying. I promise the person that is, is 
the right fit for you professionally is out there. So keep at it. Don't rob yourself of that experience. The next thing is if they don't appear interested or engaged in what you're telling them. Like if your counselor is like zoning out during your time talking to them or you feel like they're about to fall asleep or um, I actually had a supervisor who would fall asleep one time during supervision. Okay, that's not okay. So if your counselor is that way, that's not okay. Or if they're distracted or if they're like looking at their phone during your session or they now if there's an emergency or they're expecting a phone call from the hospital or something they should let you know ahead of time so that you know like hey this isn't typical but I'm expecting a call from the hospital or you know there's an emergency or something and I have to have my phone on that's one thing if they're if they're like looking at their phone or playing games or sending texts or emails during your appointment that's not okay that is not acceptable at all bring that up. And again, if they do not change that or they do not acknowledge your concern, um, that is time to look for another counselor. The other thing is if they don't challenge you. So in the beginning, yeah, you're not going to get a ton of challenging in the beginning necessarily, right? It takes, it's just like, you know, when you first start dating somebody and they say something kind of weird, you just kind of like, Okay. Um, that's cool. Okay. But if like when that's your husband and they do it or your boyfriend, you're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so or you're like, that's weird or whatever, right? It's the same way with counselors. We have to build that relationship before we understand the situation and we understand you and your values enough to challenge you. However, if you've been seeing this person for a long time, I would say like six months you should have some rapport, okay? So if you've been seeing this person longer than that and they don't challenge you, if you go in and you just talk about your week and you talk about what's going on and they don't reflect back certain things to you or they don't help you to reframe certain things or they don't ask you open-ended questions about, well, what is that like? Or, you know, what was that like in the past? Or have you tried this? Or, um and, and did you like it? Stuff like that, right? So if you don't, if they're not asking you those questions or if they're not challenging you either. So counselors are a little bit, will challenge you, but in gentle ways. So if a counselor's like, that's stupid, don't do that. That's not what I'm talking about. They're challenging, okay? That is time to look for a new counselor. But if the counselor's like, okay, so I hear you saying that you really want to go to college because you want to be a dentist because your grandpa was a dentist and it's really important to you. But then I also hear you saying that you don't want to do your homework because it's stupid. <laughs> like, Are you going to go to college? Right. Like, you know, help me make sense of that because they don't seem to be aligned with each other. And if your goal is that you want to be a dentist like your grandpa, I want that for you. Right. That's an example of that gentle, challenging right i'm not calling you out and being like look you really should do your homework like that's not going to do anything for anybody but if that person is not challenging you in those ways or in those gentle ways after you've had rapport built up then uh then that takes away your opportunity to grow in counseling the last thing is if they give you advice or try to like steer you in your decision making that's kind of a red flag okay so for example, if I am, let's say that I, I was pregnant and uh, I was trying to decide like what to do because I'm not ready to have a baby right now. And so I'm thinking like, okay, I could, my parents raise this baby or I could get this baby up for adoption or I could just have the baby and raise it. But then what about, 
you know, the baby's dad, all of these questions, right? And all of these options. Now, if I'm the client, those are all my decisions to make. I never want to look back in 20 years and say, well, I did it because my counselor thought I should do this or that, right? That should never be the conversation. So your counselor's job is not to tell you what the right decision is. And sometimes that's for, don't get mad at your counselor if they won't tell you what to do. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes people do get frustrated with their counselors like, oh my gosh, just tell me the right answer. Just tell me what to do. They're not going to do that. If they do, though, that is a sign that it probably it might be time to look for a different counselor if they are telling you what to do. So if you're kind of like, mm, I'm kind of thinking about adoption, you know, and then they say something like, well, aren't you going to regret not raising your child? Or, you know, like if they say like, well, I really think you should give it a chance. That's a red flag, right? It's okay to say like, what other options are you considering, right? Or like, what what is it that is making you lean in that direction? And what is it that is deterring you from other options, right? Those are great questions. Those are not trying to lead you down a specific path. But if that counselor starts talking about like her cousin who gave a baby up for adoption and then regretted it for 30 years, like that's a red flag. Okay, counselors are not supposed to do that. So if your counselor, if you ever feel like your counselor is trying to get you to follow a certain like religion or way of thinking or like political point of view, anything like that, I have no idea, honestly, if my counselor is a Democrat or a Republican, I have no clue. And that's good. That's important. Now, it's okay if you know what your counselor's religion is. Like that's that's okay. There's nothing inherently harmful about that. But if you feel like your counselor is trying to convert you in some way, then really it is your right to bring that up and talk to them about that. And if they don't understand that concern and change those things, then, then that is time to look for a new counselor. Probably. Now, if you bring up your religion and your counselor asks you questions about it or, you know, does some exp exploration of like, yeah, what was it like for you growing up in that religion? Or like, what are the customs there? And, and what are your holidays and things like that? That is absolutely fine. But if they're like, oh, I know you grew up Jehovah's Witness, but like, have you have you thought about Christianity? <laughs> like, that would be very, you can't know. Okay? No. <laughs> no. So just things like that are definitely red flags and definitely um, things that are concerns. Um, and so if you do have that concern, just know that like you heard it from us, it's a valid concern. Say something, speak up. And if they will not address that concern or hear you out, um, it is probably time to look for a different. If they're not doing one of those things and they're just like, mm, okay, yeah, they're all right. You know, they're not doing any red flag things, but they're like, mm, I don't know. Right. In the beginning, we do ask that you give them three chances, like three sessions before you make a decision of whether you like that person to work with or not, because we're different every week that we come in. Like if I come in the first week and it's an assessment and I'm like annoyed about the assessment and then I come in the second week and I'm still annoyed about it. Plus the thing that was stressing me out two weeks ago, right? Like, they haven't gonna, fixed it yet. Yeah. Like I'm going <laughs> to experience that counselor a lot differently maybe on the second time and the first time than I am maybe on the third time. Right. So we do ask that, that we would give three sessions and then that way, you know, you know, if you do make the decision that like, nope, this isn't the person for me, that's totally fine. But you know that you haven't robbed yourself of a potentially helpful 
counseling relationship. Please don't stop just after the assessment, just because the assessment is awkward. It's going to be awkward. Even with counselors who are amazing and who are building rapport and, and fun, like, you still got to ask those questions. And those are hard questions to ask a stranger and to be asked by a stranger. I hope that this was helpful for anybody who has or is close to identifying that they do need a counselor or that they could benefit from a counselor um, and is kind of in that phase of like, okay, yeah, now what? What do I do now? Hopefully this gave you some insight into what that process is, what you can do next, um, and gave you some tangible things to look for so that you feel prepared when you go into that session. That can be a really scary situation where you're like, okay, now I've made this appointment and now I don't know if I want to go because what's it going to be like? Like, how do I know if they're a good counselor or not? How do I know if this thing that's bothering me is okay or if that's just something counselors have to do or if that is something that isn't going to be beneficial to me or isn't okay? So hopefully this is the case. If you ever have questions about that, so if you are seeing a counselor and uh, one of the things that we brought up as reasons to stop seeing that counselor, if that sparked anything for you with your current counselor, send us a message. Send us a message on Facebook or on Instagram um, at you need a counselor and let us know about that if you're comfortable. It's your confidentiality. You obviously don't have to share that you're in counseling with anybody, but if you do want to send us that information, let us know. We can help you walk through, oh, wow, that's not an ethical thing for them to do. Or we can let you know, okay, yep, they can't buy your kids uh, Girl Scout cookies and that's why, right? So we can help you with that for sure. We would love to do that. You can also contact Heart and Solutions if you are looking for a counselor. So I guess another step, if you are in Iowa, instead of going to psychology today, you can call Heart and Solutions. Call us. Call us. Uh, 800-531-4236. Or you can go to our website and message us there. That is www.heartandsolutions.net. Or you can go to our Facebook page and um, that it will have all of the phone number and all of the email information there as well. And that is www.facebook.com forward slash heart and solutions. And we post there pretty much every day with different um, inspirational information about mental health and also about updates on the agency. Um, also, if you are um, looking for breathing techniques for your kids or for children in your life, preschoolers mainly. Um, you can check out my book, Breathing Through the Year, A Child's Guide to Holiday-Themed Breathing Techniques. Um, you can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash heart and stories. Um, and you'll be able to see videos of my four-year-old daughter and I doing the breathing technique. Uh, and you'll also have information there on how to buy the book. Uh, you can buy the book at www.storiesfromtheheart.shop. Storiesfromtheheart.shop. Like Julie mentioned at the beginning, we do post every Sunday at five. So wait till Sunday to do your laundry or your chores from the week and listen to us as you do that or Monday while you're driving to work or while you're preparing to call a counselor. And I'm Krista Brown. And I'm Julie Johnson. And we need a counselor. And so do you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.